Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, 11 kilometres from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that happened in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found that it was just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. That was pretty well done, boys. Thank you so much. My name is Bethany, and I have been part of the PBC fam for a number of years now, and I love calling this place home. So welcome. And for all the regulars, how good is Sunday night when we gather together? I love Sundays. What a passage, hey? In 22 verses, Luke encapsulates much of the Christian life. We open this passage, and it is Easter Sunday. Jesus has risen. Cleopas and his companion are there in Jerusalem. In much of the book of Luke, he paints Jerusalem as the focal point of Jesus' ministry. It is where much of his public life and service takes place, and where he encouraged his disciples to carry out that message of salvation and hope to the world and to follow in his actions. Again, Jesus is there, resurrected after his crucifixion, and Cleopas and his friend are departing from Jerusalem. But then Jesus was like, oh, hey, what's going on? And the two are just slightly confused. They are puzzled by this man's response. And so they end up responding in the most ironic of ways. And this incredible conversation happens on the road. This conversation and the road both play a significant part in understanding this passage. In classic Baptist preacher style, I have got for you three points tonight. I feel it biblical to stick with Easter, that number of three. So here they are, the road, the conversation and burning hearts. But before we go any further, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we welcome you in this place and we dedicate this time to you, to worship you and to hear from you, Lord. May our hearts and our minds be open and expectant to hear from you tonight. Amen. 
In the story of the walk to Emmaus, Cleopas and the other disciple were lost. They were on the right road and they knew their way home. They knew how to get there, but they had no idea what to make of Jesus' life and subsequently his death or the women's testimony that he was now risen. Now, remember when we read this, as Kathy pointed out last week after the sermon, she spoke of us wearing resurrection lenses. We read it with the bigger picture, the bigger story in our mind. So geographically, these two disciples knew where they were going, but theologically, they were as lost as my country town dad trying to navigate the streets of Sydney, without a map, also affectionately known as his wife. But so my dad gets very lost in Sydney. These disciples were theologically very puzzled and very confused. It's Easter morning and the two disciples are leaving Jerusalem, the place of Jesus' ministry. But who can blame them? It was the third day. They had waited, but Jerusalem is now a place of pain, sorrow and loss. It's a place of death, unmet expectations, and the arrival of the third day had dismayed them. It's a place where their lives were devastated, crushed really, after watching the very man who they believed to be more than a prophet, but the son of God, the Messiah, die on a cross like others before him had. So they left this place of sorrow and loss and set out on a journey home. As they walk, they are talking about all the things that had happened, and we can probably assume all the things that didn't happen, or for them, remember, had not yet happened. This being, they had not yet seen the risen Jesus. This text that we have read tonight is truly one for us. It's a text that takes people on the road, going home, back to ordinary life, who are saddened that their greatest hopes have not come to pass. In spite of all the two disciples knew, all the stories they could rehearse, in spite of the witness of the women, they still had not seen Jesus. The prophecies of redemption, hope and a resurrected Jesus were growing cold and in their weariness and waiting, what once sustained them was now covered in doubt and fear. Many of us have at some stage, or will at a later stage in our life, feel this way. Think back to a hope you had and it not being met. Or what once was a dream for you is now a past thought because you outgrew it or have become more realistic in your thinking, no longer expecting anything to happen. My nan and papa were married for 60 years. Their story of meeting is incredibly beautiful and their dedication to their marriage and faithfulness to God were always a huge influence on my life. Nan and papa got married in 1953 and like many newlyweds, they had hopes and dreams of having a family. In those days, bearing children was very much expected of a wife. If you're a wife, then you would also become a mother, because naturally and most commonly, that's what happened. I often sat with my nan towards the end of her life and would ask her questions about faith, love, loss, anything really, because I knew that her time was short and she was a devout Christian woman with much wisdom to share. I remember asking her how she felt as a woman, not being able to bear children. She spoke of how at the time, it felt like a hope not being met. Prayers that appeared to go unanswered and cries unheard. For years and years, this continued. She was devastated that she could not have children, a hope she had always had and believed would come to be, but was not. The years of waiting, the years of no change, had definitely at times caused her to be weary and disheartened, to be questioning and aching. For the two disciples on this road, Good Friday had not been good, Time had passed and there was no change, no resurrection, no Jesus, a hope unmet. So they turned away from Jerusalem and retreated towards Emmaus. 
Verse 14 tells us that they were talking about everything that happened, meaning the death, burial, trial, and reports of a resurrected Jesus. But here there is no stirring in their hearts that compels them into a state or eagerness for mission. They are questioning. They are attempting to understand. But it is also clear that in the perplexity of the events, they choose to retreat. Have you ever wanted to retreat after having feelings of a hope unmet? It is then Jesus who comes alongside them. As we read in verse 15, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. The pronoun himself that is used here in Greek is an intensive pronoun, meaning it is emphatic, highlighting the personal nature of Jesus here and his involvement in their need. Jesus came up to them. Or in other translations, the term approach is used. He is drawing near to them in their time of need, emphasizing his personal interest in their lives. We can expect Jesus to meet us on the road along the way in our everyday life as well. In my nan and papa's inability to have children of their own, God provided them with a remarkable child through adoption. In my conversations with my nan, she spent much time telling me how over those years of wanting, waiting, crying, God had been shaping her heart, helping her to recognize his voice more deeply and creating in her a heart for frequent conversation with him. Jesus met my nan and papa on this road of weariness with their downcast hearts and ministered to them through the whole process. We too can expect that Jesus will meet us on the road along the way in everyday life. He approached Cleopas and his companion on the road. He met with them in their suffering and feelings of hopelessness. And Jesus too meets with us in our feelings of suffering and hopelessness. We then come to the conversation. Note takers, this is point two. Here, the two disciples move from tellers of a sad story to conversation partners about what has been, what has happened, what they hoped would happen, and the retelling of the scriptures by Jesus. The risen Jesus is personally invested in them and their conversation as he walks with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. In verse 17, he asks the disciples, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As we continue to read the passage, you can feel the disciples shock. They're absolutely flabbergasted that another person leaving Jerusalem in their mind has no idea of the events that have just taken place across the week, let alone the past three days. They are completely bewildered. In verses 18 to 24, Cleopas retells the events of Jesus' trial and crucifixion, Luke even drawing our attention to how downcast they were by the mentioning of their posture. Their faces were downward and they stood still. They were in a state of mourning. Here, the disciples are tellers of a sad story. So then Jesus asks in verse 19, what things? For me, whenever I read this passage, I have to chuckle a little because I'm like, ha cheeky Jesus, you know what it is. <laughs> but the point that's being made here is that Jesus is giving the two a chance to share their version of the story. He wants to hear what they have to say. In their retelling, the men refer to Jesus as a prophet, of which there had been many before Jesus who were only prophets, and that the two had hoped key word here. They had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel, to set them free. For them, freedom meant liberation from the oppression of foreign domination and perhaps the inauguration of the kingdom of God as they understood it. And then to top it off, they're trying to grapple with the words of women telling of Jesus' empty tomb and angels. 
Steve mentioned this last week, that the testimony of women wasn't valid back then. So the two are completely puzzled because there is still no sign of Jesus. And the irony of it all is that they are speaking to the very one they are talking about, the risen, resurrected Messiah, the one who had turned their expectations into a reality. The conversation continues, and again, in classic Jesus style, he uses the scriptures. What the disciples would have known really well due to studying them, he uses what the prophets before him had prophesied and written, again, what the two would have known to help them understand this situation. Here, Jesus is giving them a lesson of how to read and understand the scriptures. Everything that happened to Jesus was foreordained. Verse 25 tells us the prophets, starting at Moses, had spoken of the recent events that had occurred in Jerusalem. The essence of this passage is that the Messiah must suffer and die before he enters glory. This explains that the death of Jesus, the Messiah, was in keeping with God's purposes. All that Jesus had to endure and suffer was prophesied in the Old Testament, as well as what would come to fruition after his death. This conversation emphasizes all that happened to Jesus was the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and the hopes of his people. Jesus' use of the term foolish and slow of heart to believe here emphasized to us the importance of knowing God's word and having an attitude of prioritizing the scriptures. These two were quick to believe in the promises about the kingdom and the freedom from oppression from foreign rulers, but were slow to understand and believe the prophecies of a suffering servant, perhaps due to reluctance, realizing that his suffering Messiah meant suffering for his disciples, that they too would have to take up a cross and bear similar hardships. And despite Christ's retelling of the scriptures, they still did not recognize him. The next scene in this story, however, does show that Cleopas and his companion both had a teachable spirit. They were listening to the scriptures through Christ's retelling of them. And then with incredible eagerness, desired for Jesus to stay with them. They wanted to hear and learn more from him. If Jesus had kept going, they would have remained in that state of depression and sorrow, unchanged. Just a group of three who had exchanged words. But it was these words from Jesus that developed a hunger within them for more and that eventually led to a change in their response and spirit. Verse 29 But they urged him strongly, stay with us. This demonstrates their eagerness for time with this man who was unknown to them. The verb urge that is used here means forcefully, to compel, to twist someone's arm. That is how eager they were for his company. But they didn't need to twist his arm, for Jesus was willing. He was there, ready and willing to stay with them. So the two disciples have gone from tellers of a sad story to conversation partners about what has been, what has happened, and what hopes they had. And now finally in this passage to tellers of a story about having seen the Lord in the breaking of bread. This is where the change takes place, where the veil is removed from their eyes and they see Jesus with resurrection lenses. They recognize him as the risen and resurrected king, just as was prophesied. This is point three. As they sit down for the meal, Jesus unexpectedly to them becomes the host, no longer the guest. As the host, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. It was then they recognized him as the Messiah, the one who had been prophesied. They recognized him as the Messiah that had been killed in Jerusalem and the man that had accompanied them on the road to Emmaus. They recognized him as the one they hoped he would be. 
Jesus wasn't just giving them bread though. He was restoring their hope and showing them that his word is true, that he is faithful to what he says he will do. As Jesus broke the bread that night, something broke open in them and in their lives, which earlier that day had been shattered and broken, were now being pieced back together. Their brokenness and sorrow, their pain and their loss were not the end of the story. It is at this moment, as the scriptures have been explained to them, and in the breaking of the bread, that their hearts burn. They are transformed and they realise their companion is the risen Jesus. Believers are sustained by faith in Jesus that burns within their hearts. It is the message of faith that first sets a fire, nourished by fellowship with Jesus, the living bread that makes our hearts burn. And it is not without significance that this takes place around the supper table, where they see Jesus for who he really is. After the resurrection, many of the appearances of Jesus were associated with fellowship around a table. This is true here in the following verses of Luke 24, in Acts 1, and in John 21. In the intimacy of fellowship, Jesus reveals himself to us. His working in our lives becomes clearer, and his love, mercy, and truth come into focus for us. Jesus then vanishes from their sight, but they now understand that fellowship with Jesus is not dependent on their ability to see him, but rather their dependence on taking him at his word. Once they recognised who he was, they were compelled to share. Their response is to celebrate with many and speak of the truth of the words once written and spoken that had now come to be. They were tellers of a good story. For my nan and papa, God met them on their road of heartache and a place where my nan in particular felt like a failure. God heard their cries of unmet hopes and it was him who enabled a way for them to adopt a girl 14 days into her life. His teaching and strength, in my nan's words, enabled them to not only adopt, but created a joy in them that they would then tell everyone with delight about the good God had done in their marriage and lives amidst the hurt of unmet dreams. He had provided a way for them to be parents, and the way they delighted over my mother and the gift she was to them showed their attitude of thankfulness towards God. They, like the disciples in this passage, could not keep quiet about the good that God had done in their lives, including in the moments of hardship and despair, when they were crying out. It was in the moments of fellowship with God that shaped their faith walk. They understood the importance of prioritising scripture and time with God because it was the thing, the one, that nourished them through the pain. In every card or letter that Nen ever wrote to her nine grandchildren, In the top corner were always the words, be still, from Psalm 46. She would always be reminding her grandchildren any time she got the chance of the importance of prioritising time with God in our lives so that he would be the one who shapes our lives. But not all of our hopes or dreams of what we aspire to achieve, to be or to have will come to existence in this life. Many people wait for more than 10 years for children. Some people never have children. Many people pray for healing from an addiction, an illness or a hurt for years and years and are still in that place of hoping, seeking liberation from that thing. Others hope for a spouse and yet remain single, for a new boss who is kinder or for that one peer to either change schools or to leave you alone. It is in our nature to be hope-filled. Where we place our hope and who we trust to lead us in that hoping is what will sustain us amidst a road of weariness, confusion and loss, 
on our own road to Emmaus. When we hope in Jesus and acknowledge that he has already fulfilled promises from the past and trust that his promises of what is yet to come are sure, our attitude and response changes in confusion and pain. When we prioritise reading the scriptures and fellowship with Jesus, like the disciples at the table that night, our hearts will burn because our hope will remain in him, the risen, resurrected Christ who is coming back. This is his promise, and we know this from so much of the New Testament. In Revelation 3.11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Matthew 24.44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. In Hebrews 9.28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And when he comes, he'll make all things new, just as it is written in Revelation 21. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In 1 Peter 5.10, And the grace of God, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. And in Romans 8, 24 to 25, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There is hope in Jesus, the risen, resurrected Messiah. When we place our hope in Jesus, when we prioritise time with him and with his word, our hearts will burn. And if you're unsure if you can trust or hope in the risen King Jesus because you can't see him or for another reason, talk to one of the pastors or to a friend you might have come with or even to me because I would love to tell you of the hope in Jesus and the assurance of his word. Having walked both sides of life, journeying it without Christ and journeying it with Christ, I know which path fills me with hope even in the uncertainties of life. And how his fellowship with him creates a burning in my heart to seek and serve only Jesus. All the while believing with absolute assurance that he is coming back to make right all things just as he promised. Until then, may our hearts burn with a passion for him and to tell others of him. May we, like Cleopas and his companion, run out to the world and declare it is true. He is true. He is risen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are trustworthy and true. We thank you for walking with us in our moments of retreat, doubt, fear, confusion and pain, always never forsaking us, always with us. Thank you for your word and life that since hearing it have set a fire in our hearts. God, may we intentionally carve out time in our lives to daily meet with you, to dwell in your presence, to listen to you so that our hearts may burn all the more passionately for you, compelling us into a state of mission, telling the world that there is hope in you, Christ. 
there is hope and life in you, the risen and resurrected King Jesus, who was and is and is to come. Thank you, God. Burn within us, we pray. Amen.